You're listening to Local Church Podcast. We hope this message helps you to be with and follow Jesus. Enjoy the sermon. All right, Michael is going to be bringing the word for us today. Thank you so much, Michael, for serving us. He's also going to be leading worship and just doing it all. So give it up for Michael. <laughs> hey, thanks. It's so good to get to speak to you guys. Um, yeah, you know, um, a lot of you guys have probably gotten to see me do worship, which has been kind of a real, uh, a real sweet treat for me. Um, I'm not really a worship leader, uh, but I did start learning guitar at the beginning of COVID, and uh, so I just want to thank you guys just for, like, giving me a chance to, uh, you know, I don't know, it's up to you guys to decide whether it's been, like, more of a success or a failure, <laughs> but uh, just, yeah, really been a blessing just to, uh, to serve you guys and to be a part of the, the body of Christ here, so... Um, yeah, you know, a lot of you guys probably know me uh, already, but uh, just in case you don't, my name is Michael. Um, I get to, uh, as my, my day job, uh, work with young adults. I get to lead the uh, Thrive Ministry, which is uh, a ministry for young adults in Gig Harbor, ages 18 to 28. It's a multi-church ministry, and uh, just, yeah, it's a big privilege for me to get to do that. So, hey, we're in a series on one of the four biographies of Jesus' life, the Gospel of Luke. And the passage that we're going to look at today is a passage that's about fear and courage. Fear and courage. Um, I just, I'm so excited that this just happens to be the passage that we get to speak on, because I just, courage is something I've been thinking a lot about recently, um, and it's something that I think is not talked about enough in our culture. Um, courage is one of the cardinal virtues. Uh, people way, way, way back when, people like Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, all recognized that courage was one of the most primary virtues a person could have. It's also a virtue that was valued at the start of our country. So just think about the very last word of the Star Spangled Banner. The land of the free and the home of the brave, which is just another word for, for courageous. Um, and it's also been noticed that the absence or presence of courage can be seen as a, a national issue. So, uh, for example, there was a, a famous uh, Russian uh, kind of dissident, a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, when he was speaking at the Harvard commencement in 1978, uh, one of the things that he said was that from ancient times, declining courage has been considered the beginning of the end. But it's not just a national problem, it's also a personal problem. Um, you know, I just think about how, like, we are living in a world that is experiencing an anxiety epidemic, where, you know, I, I don't remember the numbers, I think it's something like, you know, over half of college students uh, deal with anxiety in some form or another. And, you know, sometimes anxiety can be clinical, um, I'm not so much talking about that, but, but one of the things that, that combats anxiety is, is the courage to face your fears. So in one way or another, we all need courage. And the question that Jesus is going to answer in this passage is where does courage come from? Where does courage come from? So uh, we're in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read Luke chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 1, just the first 12 verses.
In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Okay, so there's a lot of things here. Uh, just, you know, quick public service announcement, FYI. Some stuff at the very end here about things like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There's some great questions you can ask about that. Just want to give you a heads up. I'm not going to talk about that today. <laughs> Maybe that could be another message, but instead what I want to do is I want to just, I want to look at what this passage has to say, particularly about this subject of courage and just three things, three things that Jesus is going to tell us here about courage. He's going to, first of all, talk to us about the problem of courage, just what a big deal courage is. Number two, the nature of courage. And then number three, the man of courage. The problem of courage, the nature of courage, the man of courage. So first of all, the problem of courage, look at verse, look at verse one. Uh, this passage, it starts out with a warning. So verse one, uh, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So the Pharisees, these guys, Jesus, they're Jesus' enemies. Uh, and then leaven, leaven, leaven is, you know, it's a baking thing. You know, when you're making bread, what do you do? You put a little, put a little yeast in the bread, you know, and it's always amazing to me that, they can, you know, these little things that are so small can make the bread so big. So kind of the point of, of leaven is that a little does a lot, little does a lot. And, and oftentimes in the Bible, uh, leaven is actually associated with sin, so, so, and Jesus is saying here, like, I want to warn you against uh, this, this tendency that the Pharisees have. It might seem like a little thing, but it's a little thing that can be a big thing. It's a little thing that can be a big thing. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Okay, now, what is hypocrisy? Uh, my favorite definition of hypocrisy is that hypocrisy, uh, someone who's a hypocrite, is someone who says one thing and does another. Someone who says one thing and does another. So, for example, Karl Marx, founder of communism. He's supposedly a great defender of the working class. Uh, history tells us he never actually truly knew or had a friendship with anyone in the working class. 
and maybe was one exception to that, but basically knew almost no one in that very class that he wrote about, advocated for. He lived among the bourgeoisie. And so if that is what a hypocrite is, if he's kind of an example of that, then it totally makes sense why Jesus would call the Pharisees hypocrites, because these guys on the outside, what are they saying? They're saying that they are the righteous teachers. They're the ones who are, are showing the way. But inwardly, they're selfish and greedy, and Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. So this is what the passage last week was about, was in Luke 11, uh, that they're hypocrites, but this passage deals with why they're hypocrites. Why they're hypocrites. And what you find out in Luke 12 is that one of the reasons the Pharisees are hypocrites is because of fear. It's because of fear. Um, let me just give you a couple examples that are actually in other places uh, of, of the fear of the Pharisees. So, for example, this is Luke chapter 20, verse 19. It says, The scribes and the chief priests, uh, and in Matthew's version it includes the Pharisees too, uh, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him, on Jesus, at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So inside, they want to lay hands on Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. Outside, you know, what do they do? They just kind of put on their smiling faces and they just say, oh, Jesus, we really want to kill you, but we're not going to. Because they're afraid of the people. Because they're afraid of the people. Or here's another example. This is Matthew 21. So this is a passage, uh, Jesus' enemies, they're challenging him again. And, and so instead of answering their question, Jesus challenges them with a question about John the Baptist. And he says, was John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? Was it from heaven or was it from men? And here's what the Pharisees say, or, or the, the leaders say. They say, if we say from heaven... He will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. Now, were they telling the truth? No. <laughs> they actually did have an opinion. Uh, you know, what they really were thinking was that John's baptism was just, you know, it was, it was kind of a bunch of pyrotechnics. It was from men. But what they actually say is that, oh, Jesus, we don't really know. And what I love about this passage is they actually admit why they don't want to tell Jesus. And the answer is because of fear. They're afraid of the crowds. So specifically, the kind of fear that, that Jesus is drawing attention to, it's not just any fear. It's a particular kind of fear, and it's fear of other people. It's fear of other people. So this is why in verse 4, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. He is talking about what the Bible sometimes calls the fear of man. The fear of man. So in Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So the fear of man is a snare. Uh, you just think of, think, think of how like, real and true we can see this, just in our world. So for example, 
I was just thinking about like how many stories in the news recently have been all about scandals, you know, scandals in the church, scandals in politics, scandals in Hollywood. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot of times they're about abuse or cover-ups or that kind of thing. Why is the script always that like when the abuse comes out, well, like when a journalist discovers it, writes up about it, it almost always comes out that someone knew about it before and didn't say anything. Someone knew about it before and didn't say anything. Why is that? It's because of the fear of man. It's because of the fear of man. Fear of man is a snare that can lead into sin, which leads into shame, which leads into secrecy. And one of the crazy and and frightening things about this passage is that it can even lead us to deny Jesus. So look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. And the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Um, you know, just by the way, just there's some other things in this verse that kind of raises some questions. You just, and we're not going to totally dwell on that. Just, you know, know that we have to interpret all Scripture with Scripture. And so we know that this can't be saying like, you know, okay, if I'm filling out one of those surveys, you know, where it's like, okay, race, you know, Caucasian, Hispanic, Pacific Islander, okay, I'll click Caucasian because I'm Caucasian, then I get to the religion section, you know, it says like Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, and oh, no, I accidentally clicked Muslim, but I'm really a Christian, you know, did I just like deny Jesus, and now he's not going to let me into heaven because I deny Jesus, and I said, you know, like, no. (laughs) One of the reasons we know that is that when we interpret scripture with scripture, like, Peter denied Jesus, and yet that wasn't the end of the story for him. So, you know, we're not going to, like, dwell on these verses, but just, like, if these verses kind of scare you, frighten you, just know, like, there's more to be said than, than, just, than just this. But, but my point is, like, the reason that I think Jesus puts these verses here is because he wants to, to just, like, take fear to the end of the line and show, like, if we live lives of fear, this is where we can end up. This is where we can end up. We can end up, because of fear of man, not confessing Jesus before men. So think of Pilate. You know, Pilate wasn't a believer, uh, but he knew Jesus was innocent. He said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And so that, you know, he should have let Jesus go free. Why does he let Jesus get crucified? Because of fear of man. Instead of confessing Christ or, you know, the truth about Christ, he caved into the wishes of the crowd. And it turned him into a hypocrite. And man, like, if we're honest with ourselves, we should ask ourselves, would we have done any better? You know, like, if how many of us, if we were standing before a huge mob of angry people, would have the courage to say something that we know is just going to, like, make them want to crucify us. Um, You know, okay, so I remember when I graduated high school, um, I got asked to be the graduation speaker, which was crazy, because, you know, it's like, it was in the Tacoma Dome, it's like in front of 3,000-some people, and I, you know, it was one of those things where I I had to write out my speech and then submit it to the administration um, for them to review before, before giving the speech. And I remember on the day of graduation, I think I might have even been, like, driving there, I get a phone call from our, the Gig Harbor High School principal, and he sounded like, he sounded a little bit, like, fearful and embarrassed, um, and he was like, yeah, Michael, you know, read your speech, 
really, really great, but, you know, I just noticed that you put a part in there about, like, oh, how, you know, you think that only Jesus is the one who can fulfill us. I'd kind of put a little reference to, to Jesus as kind of being our source of purpose, um, just a, sort of a way to, like, witness to him in this big speech. And he had asked, he, he was sort of concerned about that and asked if I would omit that part of the speech. And so, you know, obviously, like, this big dilemma, like, am I going to, like, include the thing about Jesus or not include the thing about Jesus in the big speech in front of the big crowd, biggest crowd I've ever spoken in front of. And <laughs> what actually happened was I got up there to speak, and I just, like, completely forgot about the whole conversation, just, like, read the speech, <laughs> just, like, included the part about Jesus. You know, all the Christians in the crowd started cheering, you know, and and, and I apparently I couldn't tell because, you know, I wasn't looking behind me, but apparently I was told afterward that, like, some of the administrators kind of got this cringy look on their face. And, and I kind of felt a little bad afterward because, like, oh, man, I didn't want to, like, give this impression that, like, I just totally, like, you know, you know disregarded and, and wanted to screw over my, my principal or anything. I just, I just, I forgot about it. <laughs> and just by the grace of God, I think he just let me forget about it because, gosh, you know, like, had I not forgotten about it, I, you know, would I have had the courage to stand in front of that crowd, I, I don't know. I don't know. So we should ask ourselves that question. Uh, one, of the, one time I remember just, I remember seeing there was a, a social experiment, and it was like this video recording of all these people in a doctor's office, and all of them were kind of planted in there. There was one person who's just like a normal person, and every time there was the sound of the bell, uh, of this bell, uh, everyone would stand up. Just whenever the bell was happened, the people would stand up. There was, like, no, like, real other reason for it. And at first, you kind of watch this one normal person, and she's kind of looking around, like, why are they all standing up and then sitting back down? And so they all sit back down, and she kind of is like, that was weird. And then, you know, the bell dings again, and they all stand up again, and she's kind of like, well, what, you know, maybe I should stand up, too. And then they all sit down again. And then this happens a couple times until finally she starts standing up with all the other people. And she has no reason, she had, isn't doing it for any reason. She's just doing it because of, like, the social pressure. Would we be able to stand up to that kind of social pressure? You know, there have been times where I know that I have not done a good job of that. And, and I think that's, by the way, why when Luke begins this story, did you notice in verse 1, he tells us that Jesus said these things in the presence of thousands of people. Because he knows about social pressure. So do you see how courage is such a big deal? Courage is such a big deal because if we don't have it, look at where it can take us. It can take us to denying Jesus. It can take us to doing things that we know are wrong. But then, look, just keep, keep, keep going, keep looking at the passage here. And, and the next couple of verses are now going to tell something about the nature of courage and kind of where it comes from. So, so look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So in this passage... Jesus says that there are actually two different kinds of fear. And, I want to show you, two different kinds of courage. The two different kinds of fear are fear of man and fear of God. Fear of man and fear of God. And Jesus says the way to avoid fear of man 
is to have the fear of God. The way to avoid fear of man is to have the fear of God. Now, this actually makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? Because, you know, Jesus is saying, look, God is actually a whole lot scarier than human beings. Human beings, you know, the worst that they can do is they can kill you. That's the worst they can do to you. <laughs> you know, after that, you know, there's, there's nothing else, nothing else that they can do. But God, if he wanted to, he could not only kill you, he could cast your soul into hell. So, logical conclusion, it would be foolish to be more afraid of people than of God. It would be foolish to be more afraid of people than of God. Uh, one example of this at work is actually the story of Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, one who started the Protestant Reformation, uh, one of the most famous stories about Martin Luther was when he um, had to stand trial at what was called the Diet of Worms. And he's at this place where he's like being confronted by the Holy Roman Emperor who's kind of allied to the Pope. And, and they're calling on Luther to recant what he'd written in his writings about the gospel. <laughs> and here's what Luther's response was. Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, I am bound by the scriptures, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. So he's up against the Holy Roman Emperor. He's up against the Pope. I mean, this is perhaps the most powerful allegiance of political and religious authority in the whole world. <laughs> and Luther says, I will not recant because my conscience is captive to the word of God. In other words, God is scarier than you. I would rather stand before you and have you guys attack me than stand before God and have God condemn me. So it makes sense. Two kinds of fear, fear of God, fear of man. If you have the latter, you won't have the former. If you have the former, you won't have the latter. But the other thing that I want to point out here is that th there actually, I think you can, you, can, uh, you can say two kinds of courage that come through in this passage. Two kinds of courage, not just two kinds of fear. The first kind of courage, um, I want to call that Peter courage. Uh, Peter is, you know, kind of everyone's favorite character in the Bible because he always says what everyone is thinking but isn't really brave enough to say. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of classic Peter story is when Peter's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's right as Jesus is about to be arrested. And what does Peter do? He takes out his sword. He, you know, swipes off the, 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 the guy's ear. And it seems like, you know, first glance, pretty courageous move. You know, like, here's all these guys who are armed with weapons. And, and Peter, like, he stands up to the crowd. And yet, you know, something must have short-circuited here. Because, like, not but a couple hours later, what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times. <laughs> so not just like once, but like three times his courage fails him. So, so something about Peter's courage here can't really be the kind of courage that Jesus wants us to have. Peter's boldness in the garden actually shows itself up to be really just kind of a form of brashness. Uh, it wasn't kind of the real courage that Jesus is looking for. 
You could call it a kind of counterfeit courage. And our culture is filled with counterfeit courage. Our culture is filled with counterfeit courage. One of the things that is counterfeit uh, courage in our culture is outrage. Today, a ton of what gets passed off as courage is actually just outrage. So think, for example, about like internet trolls. (laughs) You know, like what do internet trolls do? They're great at stirring up outrage. You know, they're great at riling up all the people who already agree with them. And they're, they're really great at seeming like they're speaking truth to power. But really, they're just cowards. <laughs> um, I just want to read you a little quote. Um, this is from an author named Russell Moore about courage. And he says, The problem is that much of what is actually defined as courage in Scripture, the bridling of the passions, kindness, humility, is seen as timidity. While many who feel themselves courageous because they tell it like it is, are really just seeking to be part of their protective tribes, even when those tribes are boisterous and angry. They may feel like they stand for something, but this is not courage, if courage is defined by Christ. So this kind of courage that he's talking about is Peter courage. Peter courage is all about proving yourself. You know, like proving that, you know, Proving to yourself or, or to your tribe, you know, that like you're bold enough, brash enough, brave enough. You know, who was Peter's tribe? It was the other disciples. And remember what he had said before the garden. He'd said, you know, Jesus, even if those guys all deny you, I won't deny you. And so he's like put himself in this position where, you know, if he doesn't swing his sword, then he's not going to make good his boast. <laughs> Maybe he's even trying to prove it to himself, you know, like, oh, because I drew my sword and swiped off the guy's ear, like, therefore, I can feel good about myself. I stood up for Jesus. Or maybe he's even trying to prove himself to God. And so, in the case of Peter courage, it might seem like you really fear God. It might seem like that fear leads to courage. But the kind of fear and the kind of courage are not actually the kind of fear and the kind of courage that God wants you to have. Um, I mentioned earlier, I've been been thinking about courage a lot in the past couple of years, uh, and one of the characters that has really helped me has been the character of Caleb. uh, Caleb in the Old Testament. Um, Caleb, you might remember, he's one of the 12 spies who is sent by Moses to spy out the promised land. And and he comes back, and he's one of only two spies, Caleb and Joshua, who, who don't give a bad report about the land. The other ten spies, instead of trusting in God, they just see, like, all of the challenges that face them, and they just say, oh my gosh, like, there's no way that we can ever conquer the land. And they, they give in to fear. But Caleb says, here's what Caleb says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can certainly do it. It's a pretty courageous move. Like, Caleb is standing against the status quo, He's standing up against, like, all of these big, powerful people uh, in the promised land that that just seem unconquerable, and he just has such faith in God and courage that he says, we can do it. So in this case, Caleb is courageous, and the people are cowards. You might remember what happens for the rest of the story. Uh, Eventually, the people rebel against Caleb and Joshua. Uh, They refuse to trust in God. 
And so what does God do? He punishes them with a 40-year detention in the desert. But then, there's actually something that happens after that. The people, uh, it, it sounds like they kind of have a change of heart. They say, they, they kind of, um, you know, almost like they change their minds and they say, well, actually, we, ne- we, we can conquer the land. You know, come on, everybody, like, let's go up into the land, let's conquer it. But what Scripture records for us is that they go up in their presumption because God has not commanded them to do so. God has not commanded them to do so. And as a result of their presumption, God allows them to be defeated, many of the people die, and they're stuck in the desert for 40 years. Now, what's so interesting to me about this story is that on the outside, doesn't it seem like now the people are the ones who are courageous? And Caleb is the one who's the coward. Because does Caleb go up with them? <laughs> no. He, he stays behind. You know, just think about how the people might have taunted him. You know, they might have said, you know, where's your big talk now? You know, why aren't you coming with us when you were the one who said, let's go conquer the giants? But if courage means fearing God, and if it really means doing what he says no matter what, then Caleb is truly the courageous one here. And what's crazy about this is that Caleb's courage in this moment actually looks pretty lame. (laughs) It looks pretty lame. I mean, we like to think of courage as doing what Peter did, you know, picking up a sword and swinging it around. But instead of picking up a sword, Caleb waited in the desert for 40 years for a sin he didn't even commit. I mean, you can't get much lamer than that. (laughs) And what I want to tell you guys this, this evening is that If you're going to follow Jesus, sometimes courage is going to look like doing things that the world and even maybe other Christians are going to look at and think of as being pretty lame. It's going to be sometimes the opposite of things like outrage and anger and things that everyone else looks at as courage in our culture today. And that's the kind of courage that Jesus had. Jesus was the most courageous man who ever lived. And he was crucified. <laughs> you know, there's nothing more lame than being crucified. Um, a pastor, a guy named Josh Howerton, just a little reflection that he had on Peter's courage, um, says that on the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter was willing to kill for Christ, but not to die for him. And the lesson is, there's a type of counterfeit faithfulness that's willing to kill for Christ, but not willing to die for him. A counterfeit faithfulness that's willing to kill for Christ, but not to die for him. Not to count the cost of doing something that everyone else thinks is lame, because it's the way that Jesus is going. True courage is Jesus' courage. True courage is Jesus' courage. Our culture says true courage is boldness, it's brashness, it's outrage against the bad guys, but only when your tribe and your friends and your people are cheering you on. But true courage is being willing to be crucified. It's being willing to be abandoned. It's to be mocked, scorned, shamed, sometimes by your own tribe, your own friends, because it's what Jesus has called you to do. So the question is, how how are we going to get that kind of courage? How are we going to get that kind of courage? Because now, like, 
courage is not simply like standing up against like the 50% of the people that disagree with you because you've got the warmth of the 50% of the people who do agree with you. Like now courage is like even harder than that. It's actually being willing to take a stand against even, you know, the, the people that, that would say that they're on your team. How do you do that? How do you do that when fear of man runs so deep? And here's the solution. Here's the solution that this passage gives. The solution is we have to see the man of courage. We have to see the man of courage. So look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So at first glance, you know, this kind of is what sometimes is called a non sequitur, it would seem. You know, like a non sequitur is where one thing doesn't really seem to follow from the other thing. You know, like why is it, why is it that Jesus would in verse, say in verse 5, you know, remember to fear God. And then in verse 6, he says, remember how much God loves you. You know, like how, you know, it just seems like those two things uh, should be opposed. You know, like, if I remember how much God loves me, you know, won't that lead me not to fear God? But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, that the secret to knowing the true fear of God is actually to know the true love of God. The secret to knowing the true fear of God is to know the true love of God. You know, what happens if you know the fear of God, but you don't know the love of God? A good answer to that is, you're going to hate God. Uh, you remember Martin Luther? So before Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformations, he was a really, really religious monk. And he was so obsessed with pleasing God that, you know, here's some of the things he did. He, he gave away all his possessions. He woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning every day for worship. He prayed uh, to three different saints a day. He almost fasted himself to death. Uh, at one point, he went all the way to Rome and he crawled up these, like, special sacred stairs on his knees just to, like, demonstrate to God, like, how, you know, like, how much he meant it, how, how, how devoted he was. But looking back on this part of his life, you know what Luther said later? He said, if anyone uh, could have earned heaven by the life of a monk, it was I. And yet, he also said, he hated God. He hated God. You know, you look at a guy like this and you think, wow, you know, how devoted Luther must have been. And yet... In his own words, he hated the God he was serving because he, was, you know, he felt like God was too holy to ever be pleased. He outwardly did all the right things, but inside he was seething with loathing for God. Luther's fear was an insecure fear. The kind of fear that Jesus wants, to have, wants us to have is a confident fear. A confident fear. Uh, so, <laughs> some of you guys, maybe you've read the Chronicles of Narnia. There's the famous place where Susan asks Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? And he says, safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's good. Confident fear of God is a fear that knows we can't domesticate God. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. And his heart toward us is good. And just like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, he's going to take care of us. If you have insecure fear, then you're going to have Peter courage, always needing to prove yourself, 
you know, just like, just like Martin Luther. But if you have confident fear, you're going to have Jesus courage, the kind of courage that's calm, collected, resolute, no matter the circumstances. How did Jesus have the courage to do what he did? How did Jesus have the courage to be crucified? It was because he knew his father's love. You know, he knew that no matter what happened to him, that his father would take care of him, his father would vindicate him, his father would raise him from the dead. And so he had nothing to prove. He had nothing to prove. And Jesus extends that same kind of love to us. Jesus promises that he will take care of us. Jesus promises that he will be with us. Jesus laid down his life for us. His love is so firm and so real that he was courageous even when we were all cowards. Just like Peter. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus still laid down his life for him anyway. Jesus is the man of courage. And the man of courage laid down his life for us. And so the way that we can have true courage, the way that we can have Jesus' courage, is to look at Jesus, the man of courage. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are the man of courage. Thank you, Father, that because you are the man of courage, we don't have to look at our courage as just another way that we need to prove ourselves to you. Father, you've proven yourself to us already because you laid down your life for us. Uh, Jesus, would you help us to have confident fear of you, rooted in co your confident love for us, that we would be people who are truly, truly courageous. In Jesus' name. Amen. With that, let me, let me leave you with this benediction. Locals, take courage. Take courage because the lion of the tribe of Judah is our king. And this lion has already defeated everything that could cause you fear. This lion has defeated sin itself when he was crucified on the cross and shed his blood for you and I. This lion has crushed the head of Satan as it was promised in Genesis that he, would do, that he would do. And it says one day he will come back and throw this dragon into an eternal pit of fire forever and ever and ever. And this lion, not even the tomb itself could hold him. So no, he is not safe. And no, he is not tame because not even death could tame him. But he burst forth wild and free from the grave, this lion. And take courage because this lion is also a gentle lamb. He is on our side so we need not fear. And he invites us to come to him and experience his forgiveness because this lion is also a good and sacrificial lamb. So go taking courage with the lion by your side and the comfort of the lamb because he is your king. Go be the local church. Thank you for listening to Local Church Podcast. To learn more about our Jesus community, visit us at www.localchurchgh.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless.